Morning, everybody. How are you doing? It's nice to hear. We hope that you'll feel even better uh, after having left the meeting. We pray regularly for the Lord to bless us when we gather together on a Sunday morning. Pray regularly for every single person who enters into this building that you will be strengthened, that you will be blessed, that you will be encouraged. So we are confident that that's what the Lord is going to do. And we also pray that every single person who comes into this building, whether they're young or old or in between, will be spoken to by the Lord. So we trust that that will happen this morning. So please let's be attentive to what the Lord may want to say to each of us today. Normally when I speak, I have two or three points that I'm going to highlight and I kind of bang them away. I'm going to do it very differently this morning, I'm, I'm not going to read all the passage to start with, which is my normal way of doing things, but I'm going to do it in segments. And during the sermon as well, I'm going to give opportunity for response. So response will not necessarily be at the end, but it will be during, which is a bit different for me to do, and it might be a different, bit different for you as well. So I'm going to try and seek to engage you during the sermon. So never done this before, so let's see how it goes. Um, the passage that I'm going to be speaking from is Luke 14, 1 to 14, but I'm going to, only going to start off by reading the first six verses. I want you to note when this happens and where it happens. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. It was a custom to invite a visiting rabbi for a meal after having gone to the synagogue on the Sabbath. So this is the scenario that we have here. The Sabbath was, you probably know this, you may not, was designated a day of rest. It came from the idea of God resting on the day after creation. It points to enjoying that creative work that has been done. I read this and I thought this at least explained the Sabbath in some way. It said, the completion of creation, the rest of God, is his blessedness in the contemplation of the finished work, the satisfaction of God in his work. And I thought that was a helpful way of looking at it. I, a few years ago, in fact, it was more years ago than I realized. It was actually 15 years ago. And the reason I know that was because I put the date on what I'd done. In fact, it was September 2001. It was a drawing that I did. I'm not a great artist. I don't know why I decided. I've always been interested in that kind of thing. I've just not had much opportunity to do stuff like that. At school, I never really got the opportunity. For some reason, I don't know why to do art. I did, I did it till I was about 14, and then it ceased to be an option. But I've always been interested in that kind of thing. So anyway, I've got a long story short. I did some drawing, and one drawing I was particularly pleased with. It was no Michelangelo, but I liked it if nobody else did. And I had it framed, and I had it put up on the wall. And I took a kind of pleasure in having achieved that, and it's still up there 15 years later. 
And every time I walk past it, I think I looked at it. And I, I kind of take a bit of pleasure in the creative work that I've done. And there's a sense in which we can enjoy the creative work that we've done. And there's a sense here in the Sabbath, when God rested on that seventh day, after the six creative days, a sense in which he took pleasure in contemplating that work which he had done, realizing as well that it was going to be a tremendous blessing to others. There's a sense in which we can take pleasure in the things that we've done, however small they may be. Now, I happen to know that in this church, and I don't know everybody, but I know a few people, but I do know this, there are some great creative people. Some great, for example, there's some great cake makers. And I happen to know that because I've been on the receiving end of it. And recently I've been on the receiving end of it, and it's rather nice. So who, that person who has done that creative act... There's a sense in which they can take pleasure in that and the blessing it brings to others. I know as well that we've got an amazingly creative knitting group. And I've seen some of the work that they've done. And they can also, when they've done that work, they can take a pleasure in what they have done and realize as well that it's a blessing. I wonder if there are things that you have done, maybe recently, maybe not so recently, where you have achieved something, you've done something, and, or you've been involved in a project with other people. And it's been like a creative work has gone on. Something has been accomplished. Something has been achieved in your life. However small it may be. It might even be you've, you've mowed the lawn. You might not like mowing the lawn. You might postpone mowing the lawn. But eventually you get around to doing the lawn. And then you sit there and you contemplate your work. Isn't it good? It is good. God contemplated his work and he said, it is very good. I wonder for the things that you've done. You know, we're so busy in life, aren't we? We've got no time to stop and stare, to quote that bit from the point. Well, let's take a moment to do that this morning. This is what I mean by I want to involve you right now. I want you to think about something that you may have done recently. Maybe this year, sometime, however small it may be. And actually, we're made in the image of God. Don't forget. So we are actually a creative people, however small that may be. We're a people who can achieve things. Have a moment to reflect. Maybe you cooked a meal for somebody. Maybe you had a barbecue and invited other people. Maybe you did the shopping for somebody. And just be thankful for a moment. Thank you, Lord, for giving me the strength, the ability. The... No, thank you, Lord, that you give, us, you give us the ability to achieve things. You give us the ability to accomplish things. The many gifts that you give us, the strengths, the, the finances, the energy, the talent... It all comes from you. We just want to say thank you, Jesus. And help us all the more to be like that. You rested after your creative acts, which you knew were going to bless many people. And we want to be like you, Lord, where we can bless others too. All right, the problem, you see, the Sabbath was meant to be a time of blessing. 
The problem was that the Pharisees had taken the joy out of the Sabbath. Instead of being a blessing, it had become a heavy burden for people. I mean, Luke writes, One Sabbath when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. Why was Jesus being carefully watched? Well, they were hoping to trip him up in some way. So here are some things that might have been going through their minds, for example, because he was criticized for some of these things we read in other passages. Was he going to ceremonially wash his hands before he ate? Remember, there was that conflict where they said, your disciples are not washing ceremonially before you eat. And Jesus said, it's not what goes into you that causes you to uh, be polluted. It's what comes out of you, the evil thoughts, the evil desires. Or was he going to check to see if the utensils had been cleaned according to the traditions of the Pharisees? Or was he going to take the place of honor at the table? And we'll talk about that hopefully later. Was he going to give them opportunity to condemn him by doing something on the Sabbath they felt was wrong? Because he did that on more than one occasion. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. In those days, of course, there was no NHS, no state pension, no social security, So that the man suffering what the older versions of the Bible called dropsy, today we would call it edema, he would have probably been unable to earn a living. Some of the symptoms, I looked this up, of edema, if they're left untreated, are pretty nasty. So it's an increasingly painful swelling. It means that you will have difficulty walking. You would have a stiffness. Your skin would be stretched. It would become itchy and uncomfortable. There was an increased risk of infection in the swollen area. There could be scarring underneath the outer layer of skin. Your blood circulation wouldn't be good. Your arteries and veins and joints and muscles would become hardened. There was a risk of having skin ulcers. So this man comes to Jesus and he is suffering. He is suffering. He's probably one of the poor. He may well even be a beggar, unable to work. It's a very unpleasant condition. And he's there at the meal, probably not been invited to the meal, but one of the ones who would stand around the periphery, perhaps hoping to get some scraps of food at the end of the meal. And Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, there's an irony there, I think, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. The Pharisees and experts in the law had nothing to offer and nothing to say. They were spiritually bankrupt. And Jesus condemned them in other places. He says, you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. So he hated that attitude. So taking hold of the man, Luke tells us, he healed him and sent him on his way. You see, this was the Lord of the Sabbath in operation. Jesus himself was the absolute embodiment of what the Sabbath was meant to be. It was meant to be a time of blessing and peace. And Jesus came, as he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. To give relief to the suffering. To let the oppressed go free. So Jesus absolutely embodied the Sabbath. He came to give us life. He came to reveal the rule and reign of God. And he heals the man. As a sign that the kingdom has come. Now in a perfect world, of course, we know 
that there'd be no illness. There'd be no disease. Of course, we know we don't live in a perfect world. You know, the rule and reign of God has come. That's true. It's come into many lives. The new creation we know has already begun. Jesus called it the kingdom of God. And he preached the kingdom. The rule and reign of God has come to planet earth. How exciting. How thrilling is that? When it got lost in the beginning. When it got lost in the garden of Eden. The rule and reign of God got lost and it got shattered. And man fell into the the pit of separation from God. And the darkness ruled by Satan. The kingdom had been lost, but not totally. Because God had promised that there was someone who was going to inherit the kingdom. And here he is. Here he is healing this man at this mealtime. The rule and reign of God has come, but it hasn't fully come. But there is a deposit. So Jesus says, now pray for the kingdom to come. And that's one of the reasons we pray for healing. If the kingdom had fully come, then all would be healed. There'd be no need to pray. But we see in part only. No, we, we know in part only. However, we look for signs of the kingdom coming. And one of the signs is healing. And that's why we often pray for healing. We don't see it all as we would like, but we see some of it. Let me give you an example, if I could have the next picture. Hopefully it's the one that I'm looking for. Yeah, you may recognize this young man. As he uh, plays the drums from time to time up here. His name is Tolu. He's a student at the university. And recently, our young people and adult helpers went off to New Day, uh, the New Frontiers youth event. And we sent over 70 young people there. They had an amazing time. And there was prayer for healing. And Tolu, I've asked Tolu, he can't be here today, but he's written his story for me and for us. And this is what he wrote. Asthma is something I have struggled with from a young age. And on the setup Sunday of New Day, breathing in and out was a struggle for me. I had my inhaler with me, but I had to use it on four different occasions. This continued to the next day and the day after that. Sleeping was difficult as I woke up multiple times just to use my inhaler so I could sleep. It was the healing day at New Day, and I knew what I needed to pray for. As I was praying, I had a picture of the respiratory system, so I knew God was at work. As I continued to pray, I heard the preacher say, If you have any pain, test it out. Straight away, my wrist came to mind. I broke my wrist in the summer of 2015 on Father's Day, and whenever there's pressure on it, I get a sharp pain. I decided to test it out by doing push-ups. I started one. No pain. Two. No pain. I got to 40. No pain, and I knew I was healed. As I was rejoicing, it came to mind that I've just done a physical activity, and I wasn't desperately gasping for breath. So I knew I was healed of asthma too. Praise the living Jesus. Hallelujah. You see, I don't know about you, but I believe in a living God. Do you? I don't think he's dead. I think he's alive. In fact, Jesus not only says that, he says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. And he is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the Sabbath. He embodies the Sabbath. And when he comes, he brings blessing. And so what I would like us to do now, this is where you're going to be involved again. I told you it was going to be somewhat different. I'd like you, if you would like prayer for healing, 
I want to give you two options here. The first one is this, just to raise your hand, and uh, people around you will gather around you, and they'll pray for you to be healed. Because Jesus said about the followers of Jesus, they will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. So each of us, if we are followers of Jesus, can lay hands on the sick and expect some recovery. We know the kingdom hasn't come in full, but Jesus said pray for the kingdom to come. So this is part of what it means to pray for the kingdom to come. So if you would like prayer for healing, in a moment I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. If you would prefer just to do it privately, then that's fine. Just lay your hand near or on the place where you would need healing. And then at the end, I will do a prayer for you as well. Is that, is that clear? All right, so if you would like some prayer for healing, we're going to all seek to be involved here with the body of Christ, yes? Every member vital, yes? Every member necessary, yes? Every member gifted and talented, yes? Okay, that include you? Yes, if you're full of Jesus, okay. Raise your hand if you're interested in some kind of healing touch. And if you're happy, brilliant. Okay, raise up. So can you have a look around if you've not raised your hand? Could you have a look around? And can you gather around those people who want prayer? They may or may not want to tell you exactly what it is. Could we have some music, the music that uh, Jen gave us, please, while that's going on? I want to spend a few minutes doing that. Raise your hand. Could we gather, again, someone at the back there? Lady at the back, gentleman at the back there, gentleman there. Let's get galvanized. That's it, gentleman there at the back. Still a gentleman at the back. That's it. Great. Let's not be afraid. You shall lay hands on the sick and they will recover, Jesus said. Just pray. Let's all pray. Let's just pray uh, for the God, Lord's healing power to come right now. Let's, uh, let's all call out to the Lord for that. If you're not being prayed for, just ask the Lord to bless those who are being prayed for. Ask the Lord for his healing power to come. Thank you, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Lord of the Sabbath. Come, Lord of the Sabbath. Father God, may your kingdom come, Father, right now. Come, Holy Spirit. Let your kingdom come. Jesus. Oh, yes. Jesus. Hallelujah. Let your kingdom come, O oh God. Oh, yes. Hallelujah, Lord. Almighty God. Almighty God. Our Father. Our Father in heaven. Bless. Bless. Bless, oh God. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Savior. Thank you, Savior. Thank you, Savior. (laughs) Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. (laughs) Come, Holy Spirit. Reveal your power. Reveal your glory here, Father. Oh, yes. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 
if you, on the other hand, didn't feel you wanted to raise your hand, but are happy just to place your hand on part of the body that's hurting or near it, then please do so. And again, we'll pray together. I'll just lead. I'll just lead. Jesus, you're kind. We're amazed at you. You're the Lord of the Sabbath. And on that day, at that mealtime, there was no way you you weren't going to heal that man. (laughs) Because your heart was just full of love and compassion. And it still is today. And so, Father, for those who have placed their hand on the part of their body, we pray, Father, we ask that you will reveal yourself to them right now as the healer, as that Lord of the Sabbath who comes to bring blessing and restoration and healing, Father. Whatever the twists and turns there are in the body that has caused these problems, we pray and ask in Jesus' mighty name that you will make it whole. Make it whole, Father. And I pray as well, Father, that there won't simply be a physical healing, but there'll be a a sense of the, the shalom of God, the very peace of God upon every person who's asked for healing this morning. And we ask for these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay. Thank you very much for doing that. Now. I want to move on to the next part of the scripture where Luke writes in verse 7 to 11, when he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you're invited... Take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I have to say, there's something within us that wants to be noticed, that wants sometimes to be in the spotlight. I don't know if you've been watching any of the Olympic Games recently. Um, well, I have, and proud of our Team GB, by the way, but that's a sideline. But one of the things that I have noticed is that when people are doing the interviews outside, like people like Claire Balding, who's doing interviews, she'll interview you, you always, always see someone behind them going... <laughs> You know, there's something in us that kind of wants to be noticed, isn't there? Or have you heard of what's called photobombing? You know what photobombing is? Well, photobombing is, I've got my family here, and uh, they're all lined up. So there's a nice photo here. I've got the Eiffel Tower in the background, you know, and, uh, and I take a picture. And when I, have, when I looked at it, I find there's some twit who's going <laughs> behind them, ruining the photo, photobombing. We sometimes as well, I have to say, maybe it's, this might just apply to me, okay? It may not apply to you, so don't feel I'm trying to 
condemn you, maybe convict you, yes, but not condemn you. Um, We sometimes want people to see the best side of us. So we may just slip into the conversation, hoping it goes under the radar, something of our good deeds. In other words, we want to raise our status in the eyes of others. Uh, Did I tell you, I was was fasting the other day. Um, I felt uh, the Holy Spirit prompting me to give. Um, We kind of try and slip under it. I was cleaning at the King Center last night. Uh, Oh, the kids are really going on with the Lord. I took them swimming the other day. In fact, they didn't swim. They walked on the water. (laughs) Again. uh, Here's one that I hear a lot. I'm just so busy. I am so busy. Now, I'm not saying that these things are necessarily wrong to say, but sometimes I, I think, well, what's the motive? What are the motives for saying those things? Do we subtly want to just you know, increase our, we want to just look good in someone's eyes, so we just try and slip it under the radar. Actually, our radar's pretty hot. We can tell if it's <laughs> generally. A man comes up to Jesus, <clears throat> and he says, good teacher. Jesus says, why do you call me good? What are your reasons, in other words, he's saying to him, for saying that? What are your motives? Are you just trying to flatter me? Are you trying to make yourself look good in my eyes? Or, or sometimes <clears throat> we may fish for compliments. This is a danger for us preachers. <clears throat> this is a preacher's trap. So if you're a preacher, listen in here. How do you think the sermon went? Now that's a legitimate question to ask, and we will often do that to one another. Well, I thought it was quite good, actually. Oh, I, I felt I didn't really engage with the people. No, no, it was really good. Um, do you really think so? Yeah, it was fantastic, in fact. We just have to be careful that we're not sort of fishing. What are our motives for asking these things? Don't get me wrong. We all need encouragement. Jesus said to the man, no one is good. Jesus was so perceptive. He got this man right in the crosshairs. He said, no one is good except God alone. So he was saying to him, you know, this is the, this really pinpoints everything to do with why you said good teacher. Are you saying that I am God? Or are you just saying it in order to try and look good in my eyes? People at the table had blind spots here at the meal. They couldn't see how wrong they were. We all have blind spots. And we need to come to the one who opens the eyes of the blind. I wonder, I wonder if you've said or done anything recently whereby you've just tried to increase your your status a little by just saying something. You've just slipped into the conversation, something about what you've done uh, in order to seek to look good. In others, it can be very subtle. We're going to give you a moment to think about it. I said something to Neil last week. He probably doesn't remember. And... um, it was about something I'd done. And after I'd said it, I said to myself, why did I say that? I said, did I say it in order to make myself look good in his eyes? Or did I just say it as information? I'm still weighing it up. <laughs> I think it was probably a mixture. All right. 
So it's to do with status, isn't it? Jesus said, you know, don't, take, don't seek to take a high status. He said, God sees what you do. In fact, in other passages, the Lord says, when you do your giving and your praying and your fasting, and don't do it in a public manner. Don't blow the trumpet about what you're doing. But because God sees, and God will honor, and God will do the lifting up. And that's what he's saying here to the people here. But I think for us, it can be a very, very just subtle thing. Now moving on to the final part of the passage. Luke 14, verses 12 to 14. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner... Do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Very challenging words that Jesus speaks here, I think. Jesus is not saying you can't have a meal with friends and family. If we look at some of the meals that Jesus went to, his last meal was with his friends. And his first meal that we read about at the wedding in Canaan and Galilee, his family were there. So he's, but he is saying this, don't just stay in your comfort zone. What's your comfort zone when you invite people for a meal? Just think about that for a moment. What is your comfort zone? If you're in a position where you can invite people around, what's your comfort zone? For me... My comfort zone is my friends and family. And I guess probably for most of us, it may well be the same too. Our comfort zone also may be people whom we share a kind of same cultural background with. That might be our comfort zone. We can even have a comfort zone here in the meeting. Who do we talk to? Who do we greet? Do we have a comfort zone there? Do we just speak with our family and friends? Do we just hang around with people of our own sort of similar cultural background? Do we stay in our comfort zone? It's a challenge, isn't it, to get out of our comfort zone. And I find myself having to battle with this, not to ignore people who I may feel I don't have a natural connection with. We may fail to reach across perceived cultural barriers, but the gospel is designed to break down barriers and prejudices. Would you agree with that? Yeah. So uh, I'm going to ask you a question, I think, which I think is quite challenging in the light of what Jesus said here. If you're in a position to invite someone, who's on your invitation list? Jesus said, if you receive the least of one of these, you receive me. Challenging words, Jesus says. And Jesus uh, sets us an example. Obviously, he dined with publicans and sinners. We know all that. He had no problem with the blind, the lame, the, and so on. He had a humility about him. He never saw himself as superior to others, did he? Although he was. <laughs> he wasn't concerned about status as we might be or being seen to be good. I think that can be a problem. Can I, we want to, it's not that we, we don't want to be good. Yes, we want to be good, but often we want to be seen to be good. And so that's why there's a danger. In fact, Jesus often came into conflict with the movers and shakers of his day because of the good he did do. Finally, all this happened at a meal on the Sabbath. Jesus is our Sabbath. And we can have that peace and rest through knowing him. 
You know, maybe when I said to you at the beginning of the sermon, think about something that you feel you've achieved or done or accomplished that you can take some pleasure in. If there was nothing, or if there was a whole load of things, the greatest thing that we can take pleasure and a sense of achievement in is by looking at the Lord of the Sabbath himself. Jesus himself, what he has done, what he has achieved, and the blessing that he has brought, and the peace that he has brought through the sacrifice that he has made. Do you know that peace? Because Jesus offers you that peace this morning. The peace of God that passes all understanding. Jesus saw people at that meal jostling for status. I'm going to sit there. I want to sit there. But through Christ... We're given a new status as daughters and sons of the living God. So we don't need to worry about status because Jesus has elevated us to sit in heavenly places with him. Amen? And Jesus wants all people, regardless of their ability or apparent status in society, to be valued by his people. So let's make it our aim to value others in both word and deed. Bless you.